0: Romans chapter 14. Not as though you cared, but assuming if I asked you which TV personality gets paid the most, and we all know how much TV personalities make, but which TV personality gets paid the most, making $45 million a year, and just in her her salary, with the highest rating show... With the second highest being the recently retired John Stewart of The Daily Show, making a distant twenty million show, uh, twenty million dollars a year. Who would you guess? Oprah Winfrey doesn't really have her show anymore, but she has her own channel. <laughs> um, Katie Couric, no, not even close. What's that? No, not even close. She's not even up to the twenty million. The answer is Judge Judy. It may seem strange that Americans have such a strange hunger for courtroom shows. Uh, During the daytime, there are several of them, aren't they? But she's the one who makes the most. Um, Why is there such an interest to watch somebody uh, settle civil disputes with a sharp tongue? I think uh, because... We like to be in her place and imagine ourselves in her place and discern the two people, right? Discern the differences and discern who's, who's uh, guilty and who's not, who should pay the other. I think that's inborn and inbred in our hearts. In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, is the surgical knife of the Holy Spirit to remove that tendency from us among our own brethren. I want to tell you this morning that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we are to judge one another. There is a situation in the church of Corinth where there is a man who was living with his stepmother. And the church was tolerating it. And in issues of sin, we are to, uh, remember what the writer of Hebrews says, where you we're to provoke one another to love and good works. We're also to, to warn and exhort one another, lest you be hardened with the deceitfulness of sin. So there is a sense where we, as a body of Christ, have to hold each other accountable, don't we? Otherwise, how could church discipline ever be practiced, right? There is a sense where we have to warn and exhort one another. But in issues that are matters of personal preference, issues of disputations, as Paul has put it here, and the translators have translated it in Romans 14, verse 1, we are to give freedom. I want us to understand here, and I have deliberately spent two times giving us an overview of this passage in Romans chapter 14 through 15. I want you to understand this morning that this passage teaches us that believers should accept one another and make room for different personal preferences and build each other up so that we can have unified praise to God. Romans 15 verses 1 through 7 is kind of the summary of all of this that Paul has brought about in Romans chapter 14. But the implications of this, of what I just shared, that we should accept one another and give room for different personal preferences and build each other up so that we can have unified praise to God, the implications of that are this. If there is anything in your heart and life that is standing in the way of that, Namely, sinful attitudes it needs to be eliminated. And this passage here is a plea for dealing with differences in mutual love. You can see in chapter 14, verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, welcome ye, but not to doubtful disputations. I'll explain what that last phrase means here in a few minutes. Look in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory... Of God. You can see that there is a theme here, a plea of unity and love. Look in Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Look in verse uh, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Chapter 15, verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation or hope
1: grants you to be like-minded one
0: toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So you can see the plea here that Paul is, 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 wants us to understand. This has already been an important theme in the book of Romans. Uh, In chapter 12, uh, there is diversity within the unity of the body in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And implications of that flow over in chapter 14, so there should be a tolerance between the weak and the strong. In chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, there is an emphasis on loving your neighbor. And also in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. So love your neighbor, whether they are the weaker brother or the stronger brother, and you are the weaker brother, vice versa. Now, in Romans chapter 1 through 11, the gospel has been thoroughly explained. We are declared righteous in the sight of our holy God by His grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. And then chapter 12, of course, starts the unpacking of the implications of that gospel. uh, It's the road running in our lives, particularly our life of love. And then when we get to 14, it bears down and it sharpens down to a needle point to a particular problem. Because the gospel applies to all of life. Why? Because the gospel, what God has done to us in 1 through 11, at tremendous cost and extravagant love, is what God wants to do through us to others. Now, back in chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, there are three parts. Verses 1 through 3 is one part, verse 4 through 9 is the second part. And verse 10 through 12 is the third part. You may notice there that there are questions that are repeated. Look in chapter 14, verse 4a. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? 10a. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou send it not thy brother? That gives us the main point of the passage. The title of this message is, There is only one judge. There is only one judge. The main point of this passage is that the, because there is only one judge, the strong are not to despise the weak, and the weak are not to judge the stronger. There are three truths about God in this passage that I think will help us understand how we can deal with differences and not be condemning of each other. First of all is this, and there are three L's, and one of them is a little bit of a stretch, so bear with me. The first is the one that's a bit of a stretch. Number one, God is the legalizer. He's a legalizer. What I mean by that is he is the justifier. He's the one that makes things legal, acceptable. God is a legalizer. Verse one says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Receive ye. That word there is a much richer word than what is portrayed there in English. That word is a word that means a warm, wholehearted welcome. I mean, we're talking about someone who comes in the door and, and, you know, giving them a bear hug here. All right. God has warmly and wholeheartedly welcomed them. It's interesting. That word is used in Acts chapter 18 in a uh, a physical setting. uh, And verse 26, (laughs) excuse me, where Luke says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue this, this man, Apollos, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. That's one word. They took him unto them. That's, that's the word here, welcoming. It's also used at the end of the book of Acts when Paul has, has been shipwrecked. And in verse 2, they land on the island of Melita, Malta today. And Acts twenty-eight two says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one. It's the idea of welcoming wholeheartedly because of the present rain and because of the cold. You see there the idea that uh, there is a, um, uh, 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 a wholehearted welcome, there is kindness that comes. And, and what we need to understand is we can accept one another with differences here because God has accepted them. And that is, we in the faith receive ye, welcome thee, welcome ye. You should welcome one another because God has welcomed him just as he has welcomed you. I think you see that a little bit later, later on, <laughs> there in the passage, in verse three it says, uh, "Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth." For God hath received him. Same word, same word. It's a word used in chapter fifteen as well a couple times. Here's the reason Paul can say that. You are to welcome and accept people with differences and different preferences because they, on the basis of Christ's work in the gospel, are absolutely, totally, without any strings attached, they are completely accepted and loved by the Father in Christ. They have come to Christ. If they have come to Christ, they are justified and declared perfectly righteous in His sight. And who are you and who am I to start whittling away at that? Interesting, uh, as I was preparing for this, one of the um, commentators writes, How dare we reject a person whom God has accepted? Now we're talking about Christian brothers and sisters here, specifically in this context. Indeed, the best way to determine what our attitudes to other people should be is to determine what God's attitude to them is. This principle is better even than the golden rule to treat others as we would treat ourselves. It is safe to treat others as we would like them to treat us, but it is safer still to treat them as God does. Now, what's interesting is in verse 1 he says, The weaker brother, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. So, who would we be talking to? Well, the one that is not weak in the faith, the stronger brother, right? But not to doubtful disputations. He says, welcome them, but not so you can just have an argument, all right? About why you're right and they're wrong. Not to doubtful disputations. And Now we start to frame out the weaker and the stronger he says, "For one believeth he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despiseth him that eateth not. Let, him not, let not him that eateth, uh, let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God have received him." Here's, here's the deal here. Um, and I shared this uh, in detail with the last couple of introductions, especially the last one here. Um, these commands that are given are directed toward uh, groups of believers, those who are weak in faith and 14:1, and then those who are strong in faith, that Paul would include himself in in chapter 15, verse one. And the things that we're dividing in this passage are the strong eat all kinds of food, while the weak eat only vegetables. The strong and see that in verse two. the strong make no distinction among days, while so the weak value some days more than others, probably particularly the Sabbath and verse five and there 's another one that many times people miss, and it 's in chapter fourteen and verse twenty one The strong drink wine while the weak abstain and also um, uh, implied in, in chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. So that leads us to the question: Well, who were the weak? Because verses one through twelve deal mainly with the weaker brother's attitudes, and then the next section of Romans fourteen deals more with the stronger brother. Okay. So if you find yourself in the role of the weaker brother, you need to pay close attention in verses one through twelve. Um, if you find yourself as a stronger brother, you can just ignore this, right? And wait till next time. No. Uh, You need to understand and get it in the mindset of of, of each of these um, um, folks here, okay? Here's here's the deal. Who are the weak? Well, it seems, and I tried to show this in the last time we talked about this, as we put together this passage, the weak Paul was writing about were mainly Jewish Christians who refrained from certain kinds of foods and observed certain Jewish days from Moses' law and would not drink the wine that they thought may have been uh, poured out in libation at the altars of idols. Why was it probably this group of people? Well, the differences between the weak and the strong in this passage seem to be very similar to differences that would be between Jews and Gentiles. These two groups have been an important part of Romans since chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, You see, if if you read ahead in chapter 15, verses 8 through 13, Paul reminds the church church that God is bringing Jew and Gentile together here. And so the two groups could understand the unity they needed to have. Um, as strong and weak. And also the way that Paul even describes the attitude of the weak. Um, he uses words that would be familiar to the Jews like common and unclean. Uh, he used, uh, because Old Testament food laws, as we studied the New Testament, they were a big issue in that transition time there uh, in the early church with the mix of Jew and Gentile. Now here's the deal. As I pointed out last time, it is very important to note. People want to just quick and automatically use Romans 14 for everything. But it's very important to understand the context. It's also important to know that these were not Jews who believed that observing the law was necessary for salvation. What we would call legalists, such as Paul wrote to in Galatians, where he says, I'm not even sure if you guys know Christ. Legalism leads to hell. These are people that uh, things that Paul describing here, the weaker brothers, they seem to be doing from a concern of theirs to observe certain parts of Moses' law. So they understood that did not save him, but they had a hard time uh, saying, well, that doesn't mean I shouldn't uh, observe it as well. Let me give you some examples here, talking about food. Um, you can think of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1-8, where Daniel was taken prisoner, he was put into the king, pagan king's palace, and he wouldn't eat the king's meat, right? Because he was still under Moses' law. Um, He wouldn't eat it, but he chose to have the vegetables only, right? Um, Moses' law didn't require anybody to abstain from all meat. It didn't. But those who were very scrupulous in the Jewish world, um, they would many times avoid all meats just to be on the safe side if they couldn't determine that that meat was kosher same thing with the, with the wine that I mentioned uh, they were worried it may have been polluted with the pagan Gentiles offering it as a sacrifice to their gods and the third issue, the celebration of days well, they had kept all the feast days and Sabbaths as a, for, as a kid growing up it was part of their life even weekly fasting and prayer days so it was hard to just say okay, don't throw all that away now they understood it didn't contribute to their salvation by keeping the law but they had a hard time just getting rid of it all together. And you can understand why. But it seems that in summary, the broader principle here is that the uh, weaker brothers, the weaker Christians are are, are believers who may tend to promote and regard non essential cultural and ceremonial customs as being important in playing a part in uh, Christian maturity and effectiveness and their sincerity to the Lord. Um, and what is lacking with the weaker brother seems to be a lack of insight into the implications of their freedom and faith in the gospel of Christ. They, 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 they need to become stronger about what the gospel allows and prohibits. Paul doesn't want them to stay weaker brothers, alright? He wants them to be stronger in faith, but he understands people are at different stages, they seem to be in the minority there in this particular Roman congregation or cluster of congregations because Paul is writing to the older or the stronger brothers and says, Accept them in chapter 14, verse 1. They were to be received by the stronger brother who understood the freedom of grace, the implications of the gospel, that Christ had brought an end to um, some of these, uh, uh, to, the, to Moses' requirements and man made traditions and liberty from it. <clears throat> so, what does this mean? Well, God. How does this play into, into, into um, our, our, our attitudes? Well, the problem was, as I mentioned last time, was that even though they were stronger in faith, they could have sinful attitudes too toward the younger brother. That was the issue. And even though they were sincere and weak in faith, the weaker brother, their problem was also the sinful attitude. That was the big issue Paul was hitting at here. Okay? So if we understand that God is the liberator, He's the one who frees, He's the one who accepts us in His sight through Christ, then who am I to judge the person in different matters of personal preference? The second truth we can, need to understand is that God is the Lord. He's the Lord. Um, verses 5-6, through six, <coughs> we'll, we'll go back to verse 4, says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be whole enough, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5 and 6 tell us to do everything to the Lord. Uh, Verses 7 through 9 tell us Christ is the Lord of all. And so when we come to Christ, it's not like a buffet table where I like that part of Jesus, I'll take that. uh, That part, nope. This part here, yeah, that's my favorite. So we don't just come to Jesus as... Uh, 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 we, we come to Jesus as Savior and Lord. okay? Savior and Lord. And uh, and he's, a, he's the same Jesus. And and so if He's Savior, He's redeemed us from our sin. He's Lord. He is, he is King over us. And He's Lord of all. And so there's a strong warning. There's a strong warning in this passage here for denouncing those who differ with you and non-essentials. Look in verse... Three, let not him that eateth. Now, who would that be? The one that would eat anything? The stronger or the weaker? The stronger, correct. The stronger, despise him that eateth not. That word despise means to see as having no merit or value. And let not him which eateth not, the weaker brother, judge him that eateth. Okay? So, both of them were to, were to have the right mental attitude here toward these people. That person is not your servant who you're judging for their different personal preference. They don't answer to you. There is one judge who you and they answer to as to who they are to be serving properly. It's not our role. We're fellow servants. That word uh, servant in verse four is like a household slave. Right. The master says you do this and you do this. It's not the job of the household slave to say, oh, why aren't you doing this or doing this? The weaker brother cannot have the attitude that they are the righteous remnant left. And the stronger brother is in left field. And the stronger brother cannot have the attitude that, okay, we get it, but these, fool, these weaker brothers are just foolishly hung up on this. All right, The issue is their attitudes toward each other. The stronger brother was not to despise and look down on the weaker brother in these cluster of house congregations in Rome. And verse 4, that word, judges, uh, judges, it means condemnation, denunciation. Paul wants them to imitate the Lord Jesus, you see later on in chapter 15, verse 3, uh, who put his own interests aside for the sakes of others. Jesus, he's Savior, he's Lord through his work. Look, look what he says there uh, in verse. Um, verse 6, he says, He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. We have a new Master in Christ. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we're the Lord's. Now listen to this verse 9. For to this end, for this purpose, this goal, Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So why are you judging your brother? Paul says, why are you judging your brother? He's the judge, not us. And he quotes, uh, after verse 10, he says, Why did thou judge thy brother? Why didst thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 11, he quotes Isaiah 45-23, which I wish we had time to go to, because you could see that that verse is sandwiched right in between statements of God's unique sovereignty. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to put in perspective as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ our little squabbles over personal preferences are ridiculous standing before God Almighty the Lord Jesus Christ who Revelation says from whom the heaven and earth fled away standing before him the little things that we fight over are ridiculous that's what we need to have our eyes set on And the looking down on the weaker brother is ridiculous. And the looking down on the stronger brother and judging them is ridiculous. We are going to stand before the Lord. That is to be our motivating thought. So God is the Lord. He gives us the freedom of the gospel. Our responsibility is to live in line with the freedom of the gospel. Now... Whose position does Paul agree with of the two groups? Well, he agrees with the position, not the attitude, but the position of the stronger brother. I think you can see that in fourteen, 14A, um, fourteen a 1417, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 20, and then uh, very clearly in chapter 15, 1. But he's not concerned with spilling ink to prove that. He throws some things out there to show why um, the weaker shouldn't stay in this state. But he's not concerned with spilling the ink to prove that. Instead, he is concerned with what is actually going to destroy the church. And it's not the differences of opinions. It's the arguing. It's the judging. It's the condemning. Because he knows that's the bigger issue. Look in verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Now, now, <clears throat> It takes great self-awareness, doesn't it? To identify areas. And we're, I don't care how strong in faith you are. All of us are weaker brothers in something. All right. There's always somebody who is going to be more conservative and strict than us in an area. And there's always going to be somebody who is more looser than we are in an area. Don't see an issue with it. It doesn't matter who you are, there's always going to be somebody where you're stronger in this area than they are and and uh, you're weaker in this area than somebody else. Alright? So it takes great self-awareness to identify where you might have areas where you may be the weaker brother. And I want to tell you, these verses need to uh, challenge you and, uh, and, and God can graciously change that. You have your conscience trained to the Word of God and the implications of the Gospel. All right. um, God, can, God can change consciences to where they need to be in tune. They can be out of sync a little bit. All right? But here's what you need to know. Your security, your refuge, we saying the refuge of, your, of, our, of our soul. Your refuge of your souls in Christ. That's where your identity is. Not in matters of personal preference. Your, your refuge is in Christ. Your conscience then is free to live in line with the gospel. Not bound to man's law. That's why Paul could write things like 1 Corinthians 9 and says, I became this, I became that, because I want to see men saved. Now, here's, here's another issue. There are people in here who say, well, it doesn't matter whatever I do, right? That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about disputable matters, matters of preference. Sometimes, and this is kind of the irony, I know folks who are really loose on the things that really matter. And the things that don't matter, they're pigeonholed tight into. And they hold tighter to, to, to the things that don't matter than the things that should. Our security is in Christ. We can rejoice in the freedom of Christ. We can have our minds renewed to live in line with the freedom of the Gospel. I was talking to somebody about a couple months ago. I was sitting in this room here about how the Lord, uh, they, they had always had this position on uh, on this and that. And, and it was just um, a matter of personal preference. And, and the Lord had worked in them and showed them, no, it wasn't really that big a deal. It wasn't that important. And they had placed something that was Um, More important than it should have been, uh, uh, and and God and freed them, enabled them to live in freedom of that. Here's what Paul is telling us: we need to have done. Whether you are the strong brother in an area or the weaker brother in an area, the bottom line is this: we are to jettison, we are to eject, we are to run away from our sinful attitudes. Wherever you are in matters of personal preference, you must not be anchored to your sinful attitude. Paul wants to have the Holy Spirit take a sharp knife and just cut that away from your ankles. That's a shackle, the sinful attitude. The shackle is not necessarily being weak in faith in an issue. The shackle is a sinful attitude about judging the other side. And stronger brothers can have that same shackle. That's the issue, the sinful attitudes. Um, don't allow a judging attitude to foster pride and disunity in the church, our church, this church. Don't have your mind conformed to the morals of this age. At the same time, leverage leverage what God has given his good gifts to save some. First Corinthians nine twenty three. The next verses deal more with the attitudes of the stronger brother. But weaker brothers, we need to understand, and I say we because there are areas where I am the weaker brother. And if we're honest, we all have something. We're, we're the weaker brother in this area. We need to let the Word of God inform our consciences. And we must guard against what Satan can use as a what we would think a good thing. And Put and tie very subtly into it a judgmental and condemning attitude. Let me read First Corinthians, or Romans 15, verse 1. Or verse 7, excuse me. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let's say there's 60, 70 people here this morning. I know the exact number, but you know what? That means there are 60 or 70 matters of personal preference on one issue, and there are tons of issues out there, right? I listed off the first time we met and talked about this discussion the different things that we all have opinions on debt, birth control. I mean, we went down a long list where we all have different opinions. You know what? It's not so much the matters of personal preference, though I realize there are wise things and unwise things, okay? Ultimately, what matters is your unity here on the things that really do matter. And as we have different generations here, we have different influences represented here. God doesn't want to see those things drive us apart and look down on this side and push them away, or look down on this side and push them away. But He actually wants to see us together with our different preferences. Because we're anchored to the thing that ultimately is the rock-solid truth, the Gospel, the Word of God, and what it clearly teaches. There will always be things through every church age that there's different opinions on. I, mean, I shared several weeks ago how when my father went to Siberia, one of the things that they had a bit, made a big deal about was wearing any jewelry... Even wedding rings, all right? I doubt that most of you have that issue, and that's a big issue with you. But there have always been things that the devil looks to see if he can pull Christians apart, because when we're pulled apart, that's exactly what he wants. Because Jesus said, "By their love," and that's what this is all about. By their love, the world can mark out who are my disciples. And that's what ultimately matters. Find your security in the gospel and in Christ, your identity in Christ ultimately. It's okay to have opinions and convictions where you draw the line, especially with your different backgrounds. Um, maybe you have certain things that happen in your life and you say, I'm not even going to get close to that. Alright, that's okay. Alright, that's okay. Well, we need to watch our attitudes toward one another. For the glory of Christ. Let's pray.